This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Why don't you open your Bibles to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not be will, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and be turned aside to fables. I want to speak to you this morning about something that I've titled "The Power of an Idea." The power of an idea. We've been talking, and we started last week, about the, church, the church's role in contemporary America. There's a lot of stuff happening in modern-day society, and it's really important, I believe, for the church to be able to define what is going on and to be at a place where we understand what our role is, what our responsibilities, and to step up to that. <clears throat> but in order to do that, I think it's really important that we, uh, we're able to have a look at the landscape and get an accurate definition as to what's going on. Second Timothy is important because it speaks about the fact that men's desires gave them itching ears for things other than the truth. We go through life, and as you navigate life, what's going to end up happening is God has put a whole bunch of stuff on the inside of you to realize fulfillment, for you to realize your destiny, for you to step into purpose. But until you come to that place where you recognize him and you invite him and you you have the life of God on the inside of you, it's difficult for us as people to enter into the truth of who he's really called us to be. And in that juncture between when we're born and we come to that place, we are moving through places where we have opportunities for all of life to continually make deposits into me. I have people who are always making deposits and putting things on the inside of me. I have people, I experience times of neglect and I I feel... uh, Times where where people just abandoned me. Things that should have happened in my life that were there. Things that were absent. Things that shouldn't have been there that were part of my life. And I'm trying to make heads or tails of all of this stuff. And I'm trying to find a sense of fulfillment. And I'm trying to find a sense of purpose. I'm trying to feel happiness within myself. And the thing is, as long as I'm in a place where the inputs to my life are not truthful, what ends up happening is it creates in in, in who I am desires for things that are not always God's design. I have emotions that sit and say, I want certain things. I need certain things. I'm looking for a sense of fulfillment. If you give me that, I'll feel good about myself. I have an intellect that has a look at where I am and is able to assess the environment and the world in which I find myself. And my input is putting things into my life all the time and it's creating desires and appetites for things. It's creating within me the the, the need and the desire to go in certain directions. I have my flesh that sits and says, you know what? I love this. Give it to me. It's got an appetite. It's got a desire. There are things on the inside of me that are creating desires with regularity. And what Jesus is saying is any time we're at a place where we're not prepared to embrace truth, what will happen is our desires take us in directions that are not God designed, that is not God's design for our life. As long as you step into, into truth, you're going to step into life. You'll step into the fullness of what God has got for you. Anytime we adopt an approach or an avenue that is not designed by life, it leads to death. 
in Colossians chapter 2. It talks about what Jesus has accomplished for us. And it, spoke about the, it speaks about the fact that Jesus overcame principalities and powers. And he made a show of them openly. It speaks about the fact that what Jesus did was he took away authority and power from the forces of darkness. The forces of darkness no longer have authority and power over your life. Because Jesus has that. The thing about it is what they do have is something called deception. Deception is very dangerous because the thing about deception is it's not a lie. It's a lie coated as truth. So the challenge with it is you look at something and it looks really good and it looks really appealing. And the thing is once you bite it and you grab a hold of it, you suddenly realize it was the bait on the hook. And it's too late. You find yourself hooked on something. It goes around. And the forces of darkness are looking to use something called deception to have influence in the world. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. He says, therefore, be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. As long as we maintain our relationship with the Holy Spirit, and as long as we're grounded and rooted in that, as long as we're at a place where we allow the Holy Spirit to give us understanding in the, in the world in which we find ourselves, you will see through the deceptions. The problem with it is anytime you lean to your own understanding, you make yourself vulnerable, and the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy from you. Seeking whom he may devour. So it's really important for us, particularly as the body of Christ, to be at a place where we are alert and we're aware as to what's happening in our environment. Because very often things that look really good, things that sound really good, things that are very appealing to us are inherently dangerous. Ideas are good. Ideas are wonderful things. Ideas are designed to come in and ideas are designed to expand and enlarge your life. The ideas are designed to come into your space and give you and introduce you to a new knowledge of understanding about something that perhaps you had no idea about before. And you may find yourself in a position today where you're sitting looking at something and you find yourself trapped. It's when newness comes in, when a new idea comes in, that you're able to have a look at it and realize that your life can expand beyond where you are right now. Newness and and ideas are designed to introduce us to something fresh. Ideas are designed to make our lives more expansive and to make them bigger. Ideas are supposed to sit and say, you don't have to stay where you are right at the moment, but there are opportunities for you to expand into something new. Do you want to live where you are or do you want ideas? Unless you have ideas in your life, you have no platform and you know you don't have any channel to be able to take your life from where it is into something new. We need ideas. Ideas are important to us. God loves ideas. God's whole premise of his whole economy is based on ideas. God wants to take who he is and God wants to speak to us. And as God speaks to us, what he's doing is he's communicating his ideas for who we are and for what our purpose is and for what our life should be. And he's sitting saying, if you grab a hold of those ideas, it'll be transformational in your life. God ideas are supposed to do something on the inside of us that never leave us where we are, but introduce us to more expansive and more profitable and more beneficial and prosperous living. God is sold on ideas. 
God is sold on God ideas. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing God ideas. What he's saying is this, when you listen to my ideas about life, I'm going to create a new reality on the inside of you. I'm going to change your vision about life. And I'm going to establish on the inside of you a foundation that is big, that's bold, that's solid, that's brash. I'm going to establish something on the inside of you that builds up a courage to sit and say, you know what? I can go out there and I can conquer things that I didn't think I could do before. I'm going to build up something on the inside of you and I'm going to establish a reality that when you begin to live from, you begin to see who I am, evidence and manifest in your life. God ideas establish a new reality in you. You to be conformed to his image. God ideas will change and establish your identity in truth. God ideas are supposed to take who you are and sit and say, you know what? I'm going to change your character. I'm going to introduce you to God's nature. And as the Holy Spirit takes the things of God and he begins to open them up to us, as he begins to reveal them to us, as he takes those ideas of God and presents them to us, what he's sitting saying is, I want you to establish yourself on something called truth. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth is important. Truth is valuable. The reason that truth is there is because it's a God idea that says you may find yourself today in a place where you're financially in bondage. You may find yourself in a place today where your flesh is crying out and it has certain appetites. You may find yourself in a place today where you have dependencies on things that you you shouldn't have dependencies on. The truth of it is when you grab hold of a God idea, it'll introduce you to freedom. God ideas transform lives. Good ideas are wonderful. Good ideas are powerful. Good ideas change people and introduce them to innovation and creativity. Good ideas introduce entrepreneurship and create opportunity for people. But God ideas are even better. You see, God ideas doesn't doesn't only create an opportunity for you to take something and to introduce it. It changes and affects you. It gets you established in who he's called you to be. It introduces you to purpose, and it's transformational. What separates a God idea from a good idea is something called truth. Lots of people have ideas. And not all ideas are bad. Just because it's not godly doesn't mean it's a bad idea. But anything that goes against a God idea is never a good thing. You see, what God says... In John 8, verse, Jesus said in John eight thirty two, is I am the way, the truth, and the life. What he's saying is, what I'm offering you and the ideas I offer you are different to anything that you may have because my ideas are established on truth. My ideas are different because they're solid. Your ideas may be there today because you know what? You're at a place where perhaps you have some emotional needs. So you live with some stuff and you put up with some stuff and you deal with some relationships that you perhaps shouldn't be dealing with because I really need them. But you may discover in later life when you get healing and wholeness that you don't need that stuff anymore. What happens? My desires change because my desires are not based on truth. I used to think this and I used to believe that. But what happened was it changed over time because I was introduced to some new facts. And so my thinking changed. What happened? Your thinking is not based on truth. Because it's changing. It fluctuates. It was this yesterday and it's that today, tomorrow. And it may be something else the day after that. 
What is it saying? God's saying, one thing that you can always rely on with me is the fact that I'm established in truth. And the good thing about truth is from the foundation of the world, from the very beginning of time, truth stood. Truth has stood there and truth has been solid and truth has maintained itself. And truth is as solid today as it was yesterday. And truth will be exactly the same and as solid tomorrow as it was from the very beginning of time. Truth doesn't change. That's why truth is so powerful. Because when you hinge your life on truth, you're hinging it on something that you can rely on. Something that you have confidence in. Not something that you wake up tomorrow and you say, whoops, made a mistake about that. We're in a different direction now. God's truth is powerful because when he speaks to you, what he says is, I created you. And I want for you to discover everything that I've created you to be. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the truth of who that is and I'm going to introduce you to it. I'm going to take my ideas about who you are and I'm going to reveal them to you. And as you grab a hold of that and as you begin to meditate on that and as you spend thinking about God ideas, it's going to begin to inform who you are and what you're all about. And things in your life are going to begin to shift. Because why? I'm stepping into the fullness of who he's called me to be. I'm recognizing the fact that he has a plan for my life. And as I take God ideas and allow them to give definition, to form and to shape who I am, I'm stepping into fullness and wholeness. And when I step into fullness and wholeness, it translates into something called more expansive living. Because I used to be the small little person over here and God started pushing against certain sides and he started pushing against those boundaries and he started pushing that side over there. What is he doing? He was expanding my life. He was making me realize that I was multifaceted and there were so many parts to who I am and I was bigger and I was broader and then I'm established on a solid foundation and a solid reality called faith. He introduces me to something called purpose. We used to think we could only do this because my life was so small. But as my life began to expand, I used to, I moved to the place where I began to see things differently. I see people differently. I see situations differently. I'm more discerning in the way that I move into situations. And what ends up happening is all of a sudden, I move to a place where I start to recognize that I have an opportunity to have influence in this place. It's called purpose. I'm stepping into purpose all the time. God ideas change you. God ideas introduce you into purpose. And when you start to live out a purpose, what ends up happening is you become, a liver, you become a living testimony to him. If there's one thing we need today, it's a living testimony. I applaud the fact that you want to go out on the streets and you want to hand out tracts. That's great and that's wonderful. The problem with it is the day of tracts is very much over. We don't live in a society where people don't know about Jesus. We live in a society where people are skeptical about Jesus. People are critical about Jesus because you told me all of this stuff. You told me a whole bunch of stuff. And as I moved into that place, the problem was I began to recognize that all of the stuff you told me, I don't really see it. What the world wants now is authenticity. Your life is to be an expression of authenticity. Your life is to be an expression of the word where I took his ideas and I allowed it to inform who I was. I took his ideas and I allowed it to step me into purpose. And all of a sudden what ends up happening is when people look at me, they sit and say, there's something about you. There's your opportunity to take a God idea that was given expression. And it's an invitation to share an idea. It's an invitation to share an idea. 
Society is not an entity that exists independently of people. Society is about people. You want to affect society? You have the opportunity right there. The way that Jesus wants to influence society is by sitting saying, let me walk you into the fullness of who, who you are and who I've called you to be. I want you to recognize the giftings, the talents, and the abilities I've put inside of you. I want for you to step into God ideas where you begin to realize that you were born and birthed with purpose. And when you recognize that and you begin to step into that, all of a sudden what ends up happening is the places you go, the, the, the life that's on the inside of you begins to evidence itself. It's called manifesting the glory. What did you think? A glory cloud was going to arrive over Manassas one day? Written glory over it so everybody wouldn't be mistaken? What is the glory? It's taking his nature and giving it manifestation into the world. The earth will be filled with his glory. We are the vessels through which he's going to work. And he's going to impart those things so that we can be people who manifest his glory. It's our part in introducing and expanding the kingdom. Every time you walk into an environment where there's darkness and you take of the God ideas that are placed on the inside of you and you use that as an opportunity to put something on the inside of it, what you've just done is you've deposited a God idea somewhere. You've deposited a kingdom idea somewhere. And all of a sudden, people have some choices to make. I didn't know I had choices before. I didn't know that was available to me. But suddenly I begin to recognize it. Our role in society is important. We don't need Christians to sit in church. We need Christians who are out there living the life. We need Christians who are inspired by God ideas, who live it in the business world, in the secular world, in the education world. We need people who live God ideas in their parenting. We need people who live God ideas in their marriage. It's all encompassing. Why? Because when you take a God idea and you suddenly move to a place where God inspires you and you sit there creatively with the juices flowing and all of a sudden innovation starts to give birth and you recognize that I have the courage to do something about this. It's called entrepreneurship and you start a business and suddenly the people in the community who couldn't find a job can suddenly come to you and sit and say, will you employ me? And you go, I got just the answer for you. What does it say? It's the way that in a practical sense, God moves on people, introduces them to purpose, and they step into that purpose, which has a fundamental influence on society. God ideas inspire your parenting. Because when you start to parent from godly principles, what you do is you instill and you raise those kids based on truth. It has an exponential value to it. Because I have the opportunity to take three truth bearers and put them out in the world. Motherhood is probably the greatest vocation. The greatest vocation. When we recognize God ideas, it puts us at a place where we understand our responsibility as kingdom citizens to draw the line when it comes to morality. To sit and say, you can go so far, but no more. You take away the the right of the kingdom to have influence in society. And you will end up with moral degradation. uh, 
Ideas are good. God ideas are better. But there's a move afoot. To change the ability of the kingdom to have influence in the world. It's something called political correctness. You see, it sounds so good because we don't want you to say anything that offends people. And nobody wants people to be offended and nobody wants to be hurt. Nobody wants to intentionally go out and degrade another person. The problem with it is the liberal definition of political correctness doesn't stop at making fun of people. What it does is let's take ideas that do not embrace everybody and let's remove those ideas from society. Because the problem with it is when we re- the advantage is if we remove those ideas from society, nobody will be offended. Nobody will be offended. The challenge with it is this. You are called to be the light and you are called to be the salt. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I'm going to read it out of the message, so don't read it. Just take a note. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've got you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. You're called to be light and salt. You're called to be light and salt. The challenge with light is this. Every time you take light and you put it into darkness, what it does is it illuminates everything. And suddenly you start to see the cockroaches living in places. And you see the little mouse hole over there. And you see the spider web sitting up there. It illuminates. And people don't like illumination because it's offensive. Just sit tight for a minute. Jesus never went about with the intention of offending people, but he was a big offender. Jesus never offended people because he intentionally wanted to hurt them. Jesus offended people because he wanted to introduce them to truth. What Jesus said is, I love you too much to leave you where you are. I love you too much to leave you in the pit. I leave you too, I love you too much to leave you bound by different things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you to truth. The problem with introducing people to truth is it's offensive. I don't like it when you interrogate my reality. The religious people of the day were offended by Jesus because he went in there and they had worked really hard because they wanted to please God. And they did everything necessary so that they could earn their salvation. And they were listening to the Mosaic law and every other kind of law. And they were at a place where their lifestyle was dictated to and it was driven by legalism. And Jesus walks into the midst of them and he offended them because he said, you know what? Salvation is by grace through faith. And they said, what? You're offensive to me because you're calling into question the way that I've set up my entire life. You're calling into question my belief system. And Jesus said, I'm just sharing truth with you. You can choose to do what you want with it. 
You want to live with your legalism, stay there. You want to live with where you are, it's okay. I just need for you to know that there are opportunities available to you. It's called truth. He shattered people's perceptions of things. He made the outrageous claim that you could do nothing of spiritual value if it wasn't through him. John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You can do nothing without me. They were shattered. It was so offensive. Who do you think you are? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus makes probably the most outrageous and offensive call of all. His invitation to follow is to follow him and to die. Christianity is the only religion where the leader calls his followers to follow him to death. What is he saying? He's saying, I have a monopoly on truth. John 8 verse 32, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am truth. If you want to follow me, you have to get to a place where you have to recognize that some of the stuff that's informed your desires, some of the things that have driven your beliefs, some of the things that have created on the inside of you an appetite for certain things, you're going to have to die to them because it's not truth. And if you want to follow me, I want you to grab hold of God ideas. Because when you grab hold of God ideas, God ideas are going to propel your life forward and move you away from death and destruction into life and overcoming. That's what he's offering to people. It's offensive in contemporary society to sit and say that Jesus has a monopoly on truth, that he is truth. But you know that Jesus is the only one who can change people's hearts. Carter and Colton were in the, the car a couple of weeks ago. I think, it was a, I think it was a basketball game. I don't know, something was going on. And the two of them were having an argument about what the final score of the game was. And the one said, it's A. This is what it was. This was the final score. And the other one said, that's not true. It was B. This was the final score. And they kept going on and going on for about 10 minutes. Both of them attacking one another and their opinions and their points of view and all the rest of it. Because both of them thought that they were right. This is the point. There was only one score. Somebody was wrong. This is what it's like in life. Everybody wants to grab hold of the desires that drive them. And they want to sit and say, you know what? This is truth. I want to place my life on that. And Jesus says, I am the one who has the monopoly on truth. The thing is, some point in life, one of the two of you is going to be wrong. And I can tell you that if you're at odds with Jesus, I'll tell you where I'm putting my money. The point I'm making is you can think you're right. You can be sincere about it. You can be convinced about it. You can be at a place where your whole life is built around it. But your sincerity could be horribly wrong. What Jesus extends to you is the ability to interrogate your reality against something called truth. To sit and say, is it right or isn't it? Political correctness is based on the whole idea that if you have an idea 
that is against what I believe or what I stand for. I might be so mortally wounded or affected by that belief that I would have to find a safe space to protect myself. The premise of political belief is this, of political correctness is this. If you can manage speech that is not incongruent with people's personal opinions, what you do is you maintain their self-esteem and you don't attack their sensitivity. Self-esteem and sensitivity. The thing about it is this. We should be big enough and mature enough to recognize that what really is beneficial in a marketplace is a multiplicity of ideas. The best thing in the marketplace is God ideas. When you put yourself at a place where I don't want to explore other people's ideas or new ideas that come into my world, what I'm saying is I want to put myself at a place where I remove myself from any kind of influence. So I want to live in isolation. As long as you want to live in isolation, you're going to live with your current reality. Nothing will ever shift. Nothing will ever change. Because there's no avenue for new ideas, for God ideas to come into your life. We can't afford to be sensitive. Nobody is being prescriptive. It's simply an opportunity to hear a new idea. If you don't like it, you can live with what you want. The thing about it is this. Anytime you preclude new ideas from coming in, you leave yourself, you do yourself a disservice because you leave yourself in the same rut that you've always been in. The idea that political correctness is going to bolster self-esteem and self-respect is wrong. You will live with the same reality that you find yourself in. You see, the thing is that you only really try to find your true identity in truth, which means you find it in God. As long as you do not allow fresh thinking and fresh ideas into your world, as long as you don't let God ideas into your world, what you do is you exclude God from your life. That's the whole point of political correctness. We think it's just about stemming opinions, and, and stopping opinions, the diverse opinions from coming into people's worlds. In reality, really what it's about, it's about precluding conservative voices. And conservative is a politically correct word for saying Christian. What they're saying is we don't want truth because what ends up happening is when I'm exposed in certain ways, you make me feel uncomfortable. It's never been prescriptive. Just an opportunity. But political correctness doesn't only come in the form of offense. It has an ugly twin called inclusivity. Inclusivity is designed to rob you of your identity and your purpose. When God created each one of you, God created you with a purpose. He knew you before he formed you in the womb. He knew who he wanted you to be. And he kitted you out to be the fullest expression of that. And when we get into relationship with him, what God ideas do is they introduce us to the truth of who we are. 
And not only does it introduce us to the truth, but it becomes a catapult. It becomes something which is a catalyst for us to move into what God wants for us and how he wants for us to live. God wants you to excel in who you are. The problem with inclusivity is what it says is, I don't want you to do things that make other people feel uncomfortable. I don't always want you to excel because, you know what, we need to make space for everybody. We want everybody to feel like they belong. And so on the sports field, what ends up happening is we have a situation where everybody gets equal playing time. It doesn't matter whether you come to practice or not. It doesn't matter whether you actually make a commitment and give 150%. It doesn't matter whether you listen to the coaches and you take your skill set and you grow it and you develop it. You don't have to do any of those things. Just come to the game. But everybody gets equal playing time. What does it say? It says for people who are great sportsmen who achieve in that, what it says to them is, you know what? We don't want you to excel because it's intimidating to other people. So we'll make you average and gray like everybody else. What is the messaging we're giving? To people who don't put in effort, what we're saying to them is, it's quite okay. Life will be fine for you. You just keep cruising and you keep staying average. And for people who excel, what we're saying to them is, there's really no point to that. Because you know what? We're still going to take you out at the knees and make you average like everybody else. The problem with it is because we don't want you to get any kind of accolade because you academically can achieve. Because, you know, other people may not be as smart as you in math. All their subjects are different nowadays. Social sciences and geography and whatever it is. We don't want you to get accolades. Because, you know what, it may be something that excludes other people and doesn't make them feel like they're quite as smart as you in that. You maybe aren't. The point of it is this. God created you to be you. And being you means that you're going to excel in certain areas and you're not going to excel in others. Why? Because that's not where your gifting is. So what we do is we celebrate and we applaud other people and their gifting. We recognize who they are and what they've been gifted with. And we take that and we sit and say, I want you to be everything that God wanted you to be. And we put them up and we, and we applaud them for who they are. Because the day is going to come where I'm going to excel in my gifting. And what I'm looking for is for somebody to sit and say, we see that in you. And we're going to affirm that. Not take away from people. A mediocre, gray society never achieves. The point I was trying to make earlier to you was this. Society will excel when the, when the individuals inside of that society excel. Society doesn't, it's like marriage. There's no such a thing as marriage. Marriage is a function of two people. You take away the two people, there's nothing called marriage. You take away the individuals, there's nothing called society. Society is made up of individuals. And when individuals excel, society does well. It's so easy nowadays to point the finger and to criticize people who have been successful. We should applaud those people, celebrate those people, because everybody in this country has the opportunity to exceed to the level that they want to. But it's not politically correct nowadays. We need to take it and make it something that's available and accessible to everybody. What should you say? 
Don't say something that may offend somebody else because really we just don't want to have that kind of conversation. We don't want your ideas in here if you think something that doesn't encourage inclusivity. I want to read something to you. I'm going to leave his name out of this. But I want to read you something that happened that speaks so much about verbal inclusivity. There was a lieutenant and he had been invited to address West Point. He's an American hero and the former commander of the elite Delta Force. He played a leading role in various covert operations and served during conflicts in Vietnam, Somalia, Iraq, and Afghanistan. He was severely wounded in action. However, when some politically correct people discovered he was speaking, they began a media campaign to stop him pointing to his criticism of radical Islam, those militant adherents who had killed thousands of innocent civilians, many of them on American soil. The official explanation for the disinvitation was so horribly politically correct. His past statements are not consistent with the multi-faith emphasis and inclusiveness of this event. You should never find ideas threatening. There is a spiritual warfare taking place. And it's taking place under the guise of political correctness. The intention behind political correctness is not to stop every voice, not to stop every opinion. The intention behind political correctness is to utilize offense, and inclusivity to prevent the kingdom from having influence. That's the intention. It's solely directed at Christianity and Christian influence. The problem with it is that political correctness is almost taken on a religion of its own. And it's inherently dangerous because it is a morality without a deity. A morality without a deity is always a dangerous thing because a morality without a deity means that it relies on individuals, on humans, on governments, on society to start setting the bars to what is and is not morally acceptable. The minute you exclude God from the arrangement, we end up in a difficult situation because suddenly it's not based on truth anymore, but it's based on individual persuasions. And whose individual persuasions get to define it? Government? Good ideas change people's lives and change the world. God ideas are even better. Ideas are wonderful things. Because ideas opens up, open up new avenues of opportunities for us. It opens up and extends an invitation for personal expansion, for us to step into new purpose. It breaks new grounds. And as we live out the fullness of who God's called us to be, it translates into a society that is expanding, evolving, it's blessed and it's prosperous.
if we curtail God ideas in society, we exclude truth. And when you take truth out of the equation, you don't get to experience the benefits and the blessings of truth. As kingdom citizens, we need to wake up and be alert and be aware and be wise as a serpent when it comes to situations and circumstances, understanding what's going on and using the direction, the guidance, and the favor of the Holy Spirit to recognize how you can circumvent certain things, how you're able to have influence in ways that still takes the truth of the kingdom and puts it into situations and into people's lives. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Horribly politically incorrect statement, but fundamentally true.